Happy holidays and welcome to Cult Movie Cult's 2020 holiday special. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And for our gift to you, we'll be discussing two naughty films cooked up in Santa's workshop. Ho, ho, hold on to your chestnuts, you little elves. This is Silent Night, Deadly Night and Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Hello? Merry Christmas. Santa's back. Punish! Uh. Naughty! Who killed your parents? You really want to know? Who, Ricky? Santa Claus. Punishment is necessary, Pamela. It is good. Red car. Good point. Sounded like some squirrel getting its nuts squeezed. Shh. Naughty. You're safe now. Santa Claus is gone. Garbage day! Huh? No! Silent Night, Deadly Night is a 1984 American slasher film directed by Charles E. Sellier Jr. It follows the story of a young boy named Billy who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder after his parents are murdered by a man dressed as Santa Claus. He grows up holding on to his terrified feelings about Christmas and eventually goes on a violent spree of punishment dressed mm. as Santa. <laughs> yeah, and Jeremy, coming out of a series, anytime we come out of a series to do one of these specials, it's just fun to turn the old brain off, <laughs> sit back, you know, watch a, a holiday themed slasher flick like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was glad to revisit it. Definitely. Um, you, you hadn't seen either of these before, right? You weren't really aware of these. I don't think. Yeah. So I had heard of them. Um, obviously, you know, just being a, being a huge slasher fan, they kind of pop up on at least the first one pops up mm-hmm. on every list. Um, yeah. you know, you, you kind of can't, can't avoid it. But I, I was, I was saying to Mark before we recorded here, it's one of those movies where I personally tend to go on my slasher binges during the month of October and I, I've never really been in the mood for a Christmas movie during October. Um, so I, I never took the plunge on this one. And, and now I finally did. And I'm, I'm happy I did. Exactly. It's uh, it's it's a trip. I mean, both of them are. And you, you kind of get to relive the first one, I guess, in the second one, yeah. uh, which we'll get to. Because you can't talk about one of these movies without talking about the other one. So we figure, hey, let's just do both both of them at once. And we'll just call it our, our holiday special. So. Um, when I saw the first Silent Night, Deadly Night, I was a bit confused because I was having a feeling of deja vu, and I soon figured out why that was. It's because uh, of the use, the excessive use of footage from the first one in the second one, because um, I believe I had seen the second one first. So that was a little confusing to me at first, um, because when I first had wanted to talk about this and I rewatched it, I was a little confused, and then I, I started to realize why that was. Um, because I wasn't, you know, I, I went straight to the sequel. I, after seeing uh, like a meme online of, uh, you know, how bad <laughs> the acting was in the second one and, and how funny it was, I just wanted to check that one out. And I didn't think it had much to do with the first one. So I just watched that on its own and then soon realized um, that they used actual footage from the first one in the second one. And quite a bit. Um, <laughs> uh, quite a bit of it. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Um, but I do want to first focus on the first movie because there is a lot to discuss, I think. Um, it's, it's very interesting in its own right, and um, not only because of the background um, you know, that went into making it and the movie itself, but also the controversy that arose um, upon its release or shortly before its release. 
um, there was quite an uproar about seeing a someone dressed as Santa killing people, um, which we talked about a little bit, Jeremy, before we started here. Uh, it's kind of funny because it had been done before in a, a few movies, actually, I think, mm-hmm. like at least a couple that, you know, just off the top of my head that I could think of. Um, I think Christmas Evil was one. Uh, there, there's a, a couple, at least. Um, so why do you think it is that, that for some reason this one is the one that resonated with people? Do you think it was just the time period or the timing of it? Or Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about, like, peak Reagan years. Yeah, the um, 80s conservatism. It was the Reagan 80s yeah. with intense conservatism. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's the title. Um, maybe it's, <laughs> it's the fact that it's playing with the song uh, Silent Night, which yeah. is considered, you know, a pretty... Like, it, it's mm-hmm. actually a more religious Christmas song. Right. That might um, be... Yeah, you might be right on so, that. So it might be a title where people hear Silent Night, Deadly mm-hmm. Night, and it kind of goes against all of the, the wholesome values that they've been yeah. raised on. Um, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't know. I mean, at the at the end of the day, I would guess that the controversy happened before a lot of people saw the movie. You know, mm-hmm. like like it, it doesn't, at least from what I've read about it, seem like people saw it and then were angry about it. It seems it was, like it was yeah, a talking it was point. A, it was more of like a gut reaction or like a, yeah, I, I think it was a talking point. I mean, if I had to take a guess, it seemed more like, you know, it was like people's agendas to... Go, like we we should go after this movie because it it has this in it, but even though we haven't seen it or seen anything about it or know anything about it, um, so yeah, and, and definitely the time period I think helped. I mean the Reagan years. Yeah, and, it's and it's definitely comical to just think about it now though. The, the is, idea yeah. of something like this being controversial. I know it's funny. Like, it, yeah. it actually came out the year I was born, nineteen eighty four. Um, yeah, which is funny to think about, but um, so. We, you know, I want to get into the film a little bit and just talk about the story because, to be honest, uh, you know, and I still feel this way, and I, I will back this up again. I, I feel like this is actually the, the first one, at least, yeah. <laughs> is a, a pretty decent slasher movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're looking for a slasher movie to watch, this is by far not the worst you could do. No. Um, and I've al- I've also seen a lot of slashers that you know had a lot less in the way of explanation or motivation for why the killer mm-hmm. does what he does. Um, so whether, you know, this is to the film's credit or not, or whether this is a quote unquote good film or not, um, that was one aspect of it that I found pretty interesting and, and engaging actually. Um, like there's an actual plot and an actual story um, and a reasoning for why this is all happening, um, which is more than can be said for a lot of slasher movies, I think. I mean, clearly this was made to bank on a certain exploitation of mm-hmm. the imagery of Santa Claus, you know, murdering people. Yeah. But having said that, I, I feel like there's more, uh, I would say motivation or backstory to what's happening than you would think, or than you would normally let on. I mean, were you surprised by that amount of, of backstory? And, and Yeah. You know? I mean, I was, I think that in my mind, what this was going to be um, was just a movie where there's a killer dressed as Santa and it's kind of like a whodunit slasher. Because um, mm-hmm. that would be traditionally more what you would see in a movie, more like, like this. Black Christmas, yeah, like Black Christmas, yeah. Which yeah. once, once again, you know, we're going back a year here. But if you haven't gotten to watch Black Christmas or listen to our episode about it, highly recommend you do both. of Get those some things. eggnog and yeah, yeah. get some eggnog. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great movie. It's a it's a certifiable horror classic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't know. It, it was surprising. Um, just to just to start going into the actual plot and events of the film here. It starts out with a family visiting their um, grand. Yeah, their sure. grandfather, the, the grandfather of the family, who is kind mm-hmm. of non-responsive. I don't know if it's supposed to be some type of late like stage cata- dementia. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but but 
he the the parents leave this kid Billy who is probably like what six seven years old mm-hmm. um, yeah. alone alone with this grandpa. The grandpa turns to him and goes on this <laughs> this very strange little soliloquy <laughs> about how Santa Claus is actually out That's to get. That's a good way to put his soliloquy. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's he's it's out like, to get. I mean, it's definitely hammy. Whatever it is, it's it's very hammy acting. Yeah, but I love I love that scene and yeah. very very convenient. <laughs> like like. It's like <laughs> yeah. Like which 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 I love because that's the kind of thing you can get away with in a pulpy slasher film where the sequence yeah. of events that line up are very um, <laughs> there are a lot of coincidences which is great like because yeah so so his grandpa as he says goes on his little soliloquy he tells the kid that well, Santa is looking for looking for so people the, who have been naughty that he can well, punish. Who- before that even happens, the parents are kind of, you know, like parents do with Christmas. Mm-hmm. They're building it up and they're talking to their their children and getting them all excited about Santa coming. And right, right. He's going to give you these presents. And then and then we go to the scene with the, the grandfather uh, in the, uh, I guess he's in a nursing home. And they the parents leave Billy alone with him and he just kind of goes off. He, he actually was not speaking at all when he's around the parents. Yeah. And then he just he just starts to go into, like you said, Jeremy, the soliloquy. Yeah, very um, coherent. Like just just totally yeah. like he goes totally from being lucid. catatonic to totally lucid. In like a and second. talking about how like uh, how he better, you know, I guess Billy better watch out for Santa. If yeah. you're naughty, he'll punish you and things like that. Um, yeah. And spoiler alert, and, Grandpa never comes back. That's, no, that's the only scene with that's grandpa. the only scene we get with grandpa which but, is amazing uh, he, i love that he leaves an impression though yeah it's a yeah. Good, it's a good scene um and there is a little bit of acting like that where it's it's a little hammy well obviously mm-hmm. the main we have to look up his name real quick who, who plays the main uh, i believe slasher, that is uh, Billy, robert Rob- brian wilson robert brian wilson i don't believe a relation wilson. to brian wilson of yeah <laughs> maybe. i don't believe but maybe um but he yeah i, I he could, it could be argued he's a little hammy but uh it, it, you know, with some of the lines like punish, kill, but yeah. I mean, really, how can you say those lines and not have them be ridiculous? Yeah. But, but anyway, um, overall, I thought the acting in the movie was pretty, you know, it was pretty decent. It was fine. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say that there is more like reasoning behind things in this movie than you see in most maybe horror movies or slashers, I say this because, you know, you can see why something like what happens in this opening scene would be traumatizing to a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether or not they would go on to murder people, that's uh, up for debate. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if there's a like a an imbalance or something like that. Um, but so what ends up happening is when they leave the orphanage or I'm sorry, when they leave the <laughs> getting ahead of myself, yeah. when they when they leave the <laughs> when they leave the nursing home, um, they we actually have a short scene of uh, someone dresses Santa uh, robbing a convenience store i believe and kills the clerk when the clerk pulls a gun on him and um what ends up happening is they i believe they stop i don't know if they stop to help someone on the side of the road dresses santa or they're kind of like they're laughing like oh look at this person they're probably going to a holiday party or something like that i do be- um, i do believe they actually stop yeah he's like waving yeah. them down i think yeah. and then um they so he ends up shooting and killing his the, the parents this person in a santa suit and which i just uh, i just like to make a note of that which I, I thought was an interesting interesting thing because you have this guy dressed as santa who goes from being like a petty thief who's yeah. just trying to rob a convenience store yeah to being a, a brutal vicious murder rapist yeah. <laughs> it's like it, i know it's like is was he going around looking for yeah because you could almost argue the first time he killed someone it was in self-defense and then yeah. and then you have this scene where it's just yeah like you said completely brutal he and he's, yeah yeah he's like a lunatic like he just um you know he's like a maniac in a santa suit basically mm-hmm. on the side of the road and he ends up uh shooting his father and and you know like assaulting his billy's mother and killing her as well 
Um, and all the while, Billy is watching from the car, or I think he's actually like hiding in the bushes at this point, mm-hmm. like running away. And Ricky is there as well, his younger brother, who's going to become very important soon. <laughs> Not very much in this movie, but, <laughs> but in the he, next one he will. He's there. <laughs> yeah, so he's there. He's there somewhere in the background. Um, and so they're watching all this happening, and you, know, you can see this being very traumatic. So uh, later on, we catch up with them as, you know, through the years, uh, growing up in a, an orphanage. With you know we have the nuns and Mother Superior there, um, so both Billy and his younger brother Ricky are there, and but we really focus on Billy and you know he's he's a very disturbed young child I would say, uh, he's drawing violent pictures of Santa Claus being killed and and uh, you know this obviously concerns the nuns and Mother Superior, um, and they allude to this sort of brewing evil with Billy and uh, they say it seems to get worse for him every Christmas. And so uh, from there, we kind of have the, you know, like a typical scene you see in a slasher movie where a young couple is uh, getting a little amorous with each other. You know, they start getting, you know, start having sex. Yeah, they're getting a whatever. little naughty. Getting a little naughty. <laughs> exactly. And Mother Superior catches them. I think Billy's, yeah, Billy actually watches them. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if they were like people that worked there or who they were exactly. But. Or if they're supposed to be like, like 18 year old orphans because it, you know, in, in yeah. horror movies, <laughs> yeah. in horror movies, anyone above the age of 15 looks like they could pass for 40. So it, they yeah, might, they true. might, they might've just been slightly, they might've been 13 year old orphans. Yeah. For, all we, for all we know, I don't know. Up for debate, but for debate, whoever yeah. they are, they are getting a little naughty in like a, a janitor's closet or something like that. But anyway, um, so Billy witnesses this and mother superior sees it and she starts pulling out the belt giving them a whipping and uh because billy has seen this she also whips billy as well so again very you know more more traumatizing going on with billy so they're really setting this up is, is what i'm saying like you know mm-hmm. they're, they're really showing you how this could happen yeah. there, there's um, some there's some serious character development going on he's not just yeah he doesn't just decide enough. to decide to go do his thing it's uh yeah slowly drilled into him he even punches out a, a visiting santa who comes to the orphanage yeah so he, there's that scene. So now, then we catch up with them in 1984, which is when the movie came out, uh, 10 years later. And one of the nuns, I believe uh, Sister Margaret is her name, she gets Billy a job in a toy store stocking the shelves. And we see adult Billy for the first time. He's just kind of like, he's a very like imposing uh, mm-hmm. figure. He wasn't in, the actor wasn't in many movies, but um, he definitely has a presence, I would say. He's, yeah, for sure. You know, and he sort of has this like, naivete to him where it's like you know you could see him sort of still being that little that little boy yeah um but with this sort of you know imposing figure and obviously he's older now um we get a little montage at this point showing billy being a model employee helping customers and things like that with, with a like, great 80s jam really, <laughs> yeah, nice 80s jam great in the 80s piece of music behind it I lo- you got a happy yeah happy little montage there um which is a nice juxtaposition you mm-hmm. know to what's going to happen um and i think he began so does Billy begin an affair with another employee or is it just kind of like a fling? Well, I guess to him it was more, but, um, we find I don't, out no, I don't think Billy actually had an, any relation. I think Billy had like a dream that he was having. Oh, that was only a dream. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He, he had a dream have, that he was yeah. having some, as we said before, naughty relations oh, with, a co-work, okay. with this coworker of his oh, and okay. he wakes up all freaked out because of his dream. Oh, okay. Um, okay. realistically it seems like the coworker is having a little bit of an affair with, with another, another coworker, yeah. another coworker who's kind of right. a schmuck. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you, you know <laughs> that's how I described him. Actually, in my notes was like schmuck, schmuck yeah. or just like a or like a kiss ass. You know, he's just like everyone works with someone like that. I feel yeah, like. you know, you know, he's a classic um, like eighties like like mm, we, from the minute he comes on screen, we're like, oh, this guy's supposed to be yeah. an antagonistic presence. He's gonna be trouble. This guy, yeah, um, he's definitely gonna get killed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, you know, which is yeah. great because because what's cool about this and, and this is something because we haven't actually. Other than Black Christmas, I think we've hardly talked about slashers at all on this show, which is is not wild. as much as we want to. Jeremy. We, 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 yeah, we, we definitely will do a slasher series at some point. Um, yes, but but like, what's cool about the slasher genre and that I love about it, um, particularly in the '80s, is that it's so driven by formula because there were certain things they had to hit. Um, yeah. And obviously, we could spend a whole episode going into the history of slasher films, but briefly, a lot of it was that the, they were trying to compete for. Um, it was it was when you got the first kind of wave of VHS tapes that people could buy, and right. so they were all trying to compete to see who could do the most shocking thing. Um, mm-hmm. That that way, when people were like talking about it with their friends, trying to decide, like teenagers trying to decide what movie they were going to watch together on a Friday night, they wanted the one with the most intense gore, the most gratuitous right. nudity. They they wanted mm-hmm. all that stuff. So there were kind of these these landmarks that you had to hit in a slasher film. Yeah. Um, and, and I think this one understood its genre, but also did some pretty interesting and creative things to subvert that as well. Definitely. And you get into the video nasties and, yeah. and like you said, Jeremy, it's like a lot of these movies came out and they immediately wanted to have some sort of rep, you know, mm-hmm. because there, there were so many at this time, mm-hmm. um, they wanted to stand out in some way with their own killings, with their own yeah. creative use of, you know, of violence. Of, I a, guess. Phallic, of a phallic weapon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because like you said, they, they always have the certain beats they hit. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there has to be certain things there uh, for the film to be a slasher. But um, but that's the fun of it. It's like, how, how do you play around with that? How do you change it up? How do you, what do you add to it, you know, to make it yeah. more over the top or stand out more? So mm-hmm. you saw a lot of that at this time. And that's why I think the fact that this even exists is really just due to that. Because, they, you know, I'm sure they the filmmakers just wanted to top whatever else was out at the time you know and and, and mm-hmm. put their put their mark on it um so that's where it com- you know what it comes down to i think but anyway so um back to the movie uh so the christmas time is coming and you see around the store where billy works you see more imagery of santa and and billy's beginning to feel feel a little naughty um and uh you know it, like i said he, he the actor who plays billy uh Robert Brian Wilson. He's just yeah. He has this like he, he. There's something about him. He's he has that charm to him, but mm-hmm. then it's mixed with this darker, more sinister side. And I yeah. think he for for the most part plays it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the script. Yeah. <laughs> there's only so I, much you, you can. You do can only it. yeah. There's only so much you can do. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think they I, were they were on set saying what's my motivation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was. Like, um, this is what. And you're I doing. believe. Yeah, I believe this was like a early. This must have been either his first role or mm-hmm. early role for him. First big so. Movie, yeah. Actually, it was his first uh, first role, I believe. Okay. So, yeah, so that's why there is that, like, naive charm, I guess, to him. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, at, at, at points, he's genuinely pretty frightening, I think. And mm-hmm. and if, if it was maybe played a different way or mm-hmm. in a different movie, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a different director or whatever, um, I think it really could have been even more effective. But, um, again, somehow everything he's doing makes sense to him in his own head. And that's, like, the mark of a good villain or a good... Uh, you know, killer, whatever, uh, slasher, whatever, you know, like as long as it makes sense to them, what they're doing, Mm -hmm. then you can kind of go along with it. I think, um, 
and that makes like you know even just villains in movies like or in comic books like the joker is like the one that always comes to mind for me just like a maniac who's yeah. completely completely evil but you kind of get why he does what he does mm-hmm. because he has his own way of thinking of things so um anyway so that's billy and he's getting a little more sinister at this point and then the boss uh, of the store makes the mistake of asking Billy to play Santa for the store. And this does not go well. No. This, uh, yeah, things, this is where things really go off the rails. And um, also, Jeremy, I, I do like that once Billy puts on the Santa suit, it's on him for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, he he's, becomes he's, truly he becomes deranged. Santa. Yeah. He becomes Santa. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just mumbling things like naughty and punish <laughs> And they really went all the way with it, with with what they had, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that's something to be said for the, this movie. And uh, <laughs> I also like the scene very shortly after this where he's um, playing Santa and having the kids on his lap. And it's like I was actually laughing and kind of cringing at the same time when he has these kids sitting on his lap and he's like whispering to them <laughs> <laughs> these like demonic things and about, you know, how he's going to punish them. And, you know, kind of funny, but also pretty creepy yeah you know, yeah i mean yeah that, i mean that was definitely one of the most actually disturbing yeah <laughs> see i don't i don't think it was really supposed to be either like i think like i think they, yeah. they probably threw that scene in um obviously it's a horror movie so everything they want to be a little disturbing but i think that was just a, like almost a scene just to set up his character and almost be a little mm-hmm. funny but yeah. i don't know to but, me that, that was yeah. a scene that was the actually, whole imagery of it was just very yeah unsettling yeah so uh and then we get to the christmas party at his work and this is when things really start to take off uh when the killing really starts so um as we mentioned there's a couple employees that are having a little you know flirtation or whatever tryst or whatever you want to call it and they go off to you know they sneak off from everyone else and and um with that co-worker who's a, a douchebag and <laughs> i don't know how else to describe him uh with a woman that i guess billy likes um yeah. I, f- I forget her name but uh he kind of like has a little thing for her and he Billy flashes back to his mother being assaulted by the Santa on the side of the road mm-hmm. that he witnessed as a child. And he snaps, and this is his first killing. He's, he takes a, some Christmas lights and strangles the co-worker with them. Um, and I thought, well, you know, that's pretty clever. Yeah, I, <laughs> thought, I, make... thought, I thought that was, I mean, you yeah. know, if we're talking about slashers, we're talking about how good, yeah. how interesting the kills are. And that's I think, it's all about, I think really. that's a, it's a great image. I mean, yeah. Like, and this movie does have some some pretty creative kills. I think. Yeah, and I think that's some part of what makes the slasher genre so fun. And and yeah. as film, it's like it's not about dialogue. Like I mean, sometimes they'll have a good a good line or something like that, like a classic mm-hmm. line. But like yeah. a slasher oh. movie is all about visual, you know, mm-hmm. in, being inventive visually. It's all about how you Definitely. push things in, in terms of the image and and like yeah, doing something that and, we've never seen before. And good lines, like you yeah. said, Jeremy and. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of good lines, there is a very good line in this scene where, so I guess her name is Pamela, mm-hmm. the, one, the one co-worker. So then he attacks her and he says, uh, punishment is necessary, Pamela. It is good. And then he <laughs> stabs and kills her. I, I'm not going to do that justice, but yeah. I just like, I really like the delivery of that line. And um, then he yeah. uh, stabs and kills her. Yeah. Would, yeah, li- sorry, would, like, to, would like to make a note about that scene. Mm-hmm. She like, it was a little weird. That, that was one scene. Where, you know, as a, as a 21st century viewer looking back on this was like a little cringy because she was being like assaulted by this dude and and then he murdered the dude and then she was freaked out because well, she... Well, yeah, so I guess... Well, what, I'm trying to think his reasoning of murdering her. So I guess because she was going to 
tell on him or yeah i don't know exactly i, I maybe it was just because he or freaked out by him i guess freaked yeah. out yeah I, don't, I yeah i don't know if it's because she was freaked out on him and called him like a maniac or whatever the, the exact word right. was but like i can definitely like of all the people in that scene i feel like i definitely identified most with, with her her position well, yeah well i mean he is a villain i mean he's evil yeah you yeah. know so it's not like it does make sense in a, a certain way but, but, but that, that was like the one break for me like everybody else I, like all the other kills i could kind of i mean oh uh, so it's like he went for, he went away from his uh yeah, like yeah, like like yeah. yeah, like if we're talking like you talk okay. about like the Saw movies and it's like he's trying to correct people who've done evil things. Like uh-huh. that was the one where I was like, she didn't really do anything <laughs> yeah. bad. She just was freaked out right. because she watched him murder somebody in front of him. Like, yeah, I would I, say Billy's Billy's being pretty naughty at yeah. this point. He, he, I th- yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, and I, I don't know. I guess trying to question the logic of someone who Bit is murdering people dressed as Santa. <laughs> I, I yeah. guess we, I guess we, we could kind of just suspend our disbelief there a little bit. Yeah, Billy has clearly already snapped at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. but so at this point, so then he murders his boss, mm-hmm. um, and with the back of a hammer, I believe mm-hmm. pretty nasty way to go. And then, uh, the lights go out in the store and the remaining guest is, uh, she discovers the bodies and panics, tries to call police and Billy kind of stalks her around the store and kills her as she tries to escape using a crossbow. Yes. From the sporting goods section, I guess. Yeah. A, a lot, um, a lot of real weapons in that toy store. Yeah, but it's it's funny because then when you look at the dart that goes in her, it looks like a. It looks like a toy. <laughs> it looks dart, like a but... toy dart, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So mm-hmm. again, like another kind of like creative kill, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, like at least he wasn't just walking around shooting people. You know, it was, it yeah. was more than than that. So that's mm-hmm. good. Um, at least that's what you want from one of these kind of movies. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, Billy is full on. Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, but you know whoever you want to use as your go-to slasher guy, mm-hmm. uh, but he's pretty much uh, completely deranged at this point, and he just starts stalking and you know walking around killing anyone he perceives to be engaging in what in what he perceives to be naughty behavior, mm-hmm. um, and he comes upon a house with a young couple having sex, of course. Uh, while, you know, I guess they're supposed to be watching like her younger sister or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and then we get another punish, you know, so monotone. <laughs> I love how he says punish all <laughs> and, uh, stabs the woman into, Oh, another creative kill into the horns of a, I, a mounted deer's head on the I, wall. I will say that is one of my favorite, um, slasher movie one. kills maybe ever. It's a good, like one. I, I'm, cause I, yeah, I mean, there's definitely others that stand out, but like, that's such a creative solution. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that was so, a good one. Like that's and, so, the, and so that brilliant. imagery of like of her uh, after he stabs her into it. Yeah, her just kind of like almost hanging there on that mm-hmm. um, on that mounted deer is like kind of like eerie. Yeah, and uh, they kind of linger on it a little bit actually. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and, and also how how when her boyfriend comes up to look for her because she's up high, he doesn't see her at first, and but yeah. we, but we see her is like it yeah, adds just, to the suspense yeah it, it's very good it's it's it's, it's well done so it's, it's a pretty well done yeah pretty well done scene. and then um and then so because when the boyfriend discovers her he tries to call the police and obviously billy isn't having that so he <laughs> strangles him with the phone cord and throws him through a window just for good measure there <laughs> <laughs> um although he's billy does spare the young girl though um, yeah. who's present um he's you know asks her have you been good or have you been naughty and gives her like a bloody pocket knife. I believe it. I believe <laughs> it's a, a bloody box cutter as a gift. Oh, box cutter. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So he got it from the store. So that got, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, that okay. was the, it was what he killed. Um, the I forget her name, but the the coworker he was crushed out on. Oh, 
Okay. He, he killed yeah. her with that. And I guess he, I guess he put it in his Santa pocket. Okay. And, makes perfect sense. And brought it with him. And then, and then yeah, cause I, I didn't know where he got it from at first. Yeah. Then like, gifted oh. this child a bloody box cutter. Yeah. It, it makes and he's sense. Like, it's, and he's smiling too. while he like yeah. hands it to her. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of sweet. It, it's the, you kind know what sweet. it is? That is to put it in screenwriting terms. That is the save the cat moment. <laughs> in, a, in a very in a very deranged way well also it's showing that he does have this like yeah. inner logic to what he's doing somehow mm-hmm. um and i guess maybe he has an affinity for younger children because of what happened to him and being at the orphanage and all of that um so at this point the police are on billy's tail tracking him down across town uh and then we get this scene in the woods which i love it's uh, the sledding scene, which is, I, I think, pretty infamous. But I, I think it's one of the, the best kills in the movie um, mm-hmm. where it's just like a, a group of kids. And it's kind of like a long sequence, actually, where they're just like yeah. talking to each other and hanging out. It's almost like a different movie. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they were just trying to pad that runtime or what. But um, we yeah. have this whole scene with them. and um, But it's kind of like this nice, like, you know, it's just like a bunch of friends in the woods, like hanging out, you know, shit talking each other. And mm-hmm. and um one of them, you know, they're sledding and the one, one of them goes down the hill and <laughs> by the time he gets to the bottom of the hill, he doesn't have a head. But it's, it's funny because he just keeps sledding down the hill. This like headless corpse mm-hmm. is just going down. Um, and I guess he like slashes his head off or whatever he yeah. did. I um, will say I, I did actually really like that whole sequence um, because I mm-hmm. think that we're so used to in slasher movies. And by, by 1984, the slasher genre was well established. We were already kind of getting into like the second wave of the slasher genre where it started getting a little weird. Um, yeah. but like, I feel like in slasher movies, whenever we're introduced to characters without context, we just assume that they're going to be the next victims. Like, like, you know, like in my mind, I'm like, oh, like, why are these kids who are sledding going to be murdered? Like what's right. going to, what's going to happen? And they had the whole nice thing where we hear the little jingle, um, <laughs> of, of like maybe, oh, oh, the, he's coming. He's, but then, but then you start thinking like, no, he can't just murder these innocent kids. They're just out sledding. And, and then we have the whole bullying scene where these bullies come. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, okay. so it was yeah. like, I don't know, it, it's sense. one of those things where, you know, once again, a nice little subversion because I was ready for those kids to get murdered. And then they just walk away and probably never realize, <laughs> never realize how close they came to maybe being dead. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, once again, just a, a cute little, I don't know if cute is the word, but, but a fun little, a fun little <laughs> subversion. Yeah. Maybe Billy just saw an opportunity there. Yeah. The, the sled coming down. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have that scene <laughs> and uh, now we're coming towards the end of the film. And uh, again, this is sort of an accelerated discussion because we're g- going to try to talk about two movies here or at least one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Billy returns to his childhood orphanage that we saw from the beginning scenes. And he's still, of course, dressed as Santa. And um, so we see uh, someone dressed as Santa approaching the young children in the playground area and Santa gets shot down by the police and but it wasn't billy it was uh someone else <laughs> playing santa i guess someone who's you know just playing santa for the kids so it's pretty tragic actually but um they shot him down thinking it was billy and at this point the police kind of take over the orphanage and i guess try to get everyone out of there but the the mother superior doesn't want to leave and so she's sort of holed up inside the orphanage with the police and um what do they do of course they sing christmas carols with all the children <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of nice having like you know the, the children singing and then what what's what's going on outside and we have uh one of the policemen goes outside uh to check on what's going on and gets killed with an axe by billy and he gets to the doors and he's like waving at the kids to let him in and that's when he has his confrontation with mother superior and she has you know she keeps yelling at him there is no santa claus there is no santa claus 
And Billy raises his axe, and that's when he gets shot by the police. Um, and he falls down, and he's comforted by the the one nun, Sister Margaret, who we didn't really mention that much, but she's kind of throughout mm-hmm. the film, I guess, sort of trying to track him down or you yeah. know find him because I, I guess she sees something good in him or yeah. she gets him. Uh, she she, she kind of yeah, yeah she you know was with him when he was growing up and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so she's comforting him on the floor and. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pretty much the end where he Billy looks to all the other kids in the orphanage and he says, you're safe now. Santa Claus is gone. And then he dies. And unlike Jason and Michael and all the rest, Billy actually dies. He's dead, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's actually dead. No. Well, he, yeah, I mean, he stays dead. So he dies and he stays dead. Because mm-hmm. sometimes slashers... They do know, die, but then... Quote, yeah. unquote, get killed, but then, yeah, yeah they come back. Um, but of course, there is his younger brother, Ricky, to carry on the torch, who we're going to talk about in the, the next movie. Yeah. Um, and actually, at the end of this first movie, we, the camera pans up from the dead Billy, you know, mm-hmm. from his body to the younger brother, Ricky, who looks at Mother Superior and, and lowers his eyebrows and her and says, naughty. Naughty. So <laughs> it, it does actually set up the, fir- the second yeah. one. So, yeah. So I don't know if, yeah. Once again, another, another n- a nice subversion. They fall off mm-hmm. instead of it being the same killer. They've, but you always got to have... You know, you you need some kind of sting. I feel like at at the end of one of these movies. Yeah, like, yeah. They, the they, first they, Friday the Thirteenth, it's like the young Jason popping up out of the water. Yeah. Um, Carrie, it had like the hand. Exactly out of the yeah, grave. Out of the yeah. grave. Yeah. So so they did set it up mm. nicely. You know, and obviously every mm. Halloween movie, it's Michael Myers being ripped to shreds, and then still somehow he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> every yeah. Time, but, yeah. Um, just vanished. So um, so question mark. What what do you yeah. think? The message. Of Silent Night, Deadly Night is. You know, it's funny. I had the same question for you. Because, well, so it was mentioned in reviews that I saw. um, But I wanted to get your opinion on it. I'm going to give mine as well because you asked me as well. But um, some people had mentioned that there's potentially like a commentary being made here about Mm -hmm. commercialism of Christmas, things like that. Um, But after reading about it and kind of learning about what it, you know what went into the making of this film and the background and everything I, I think honestly like if i had to guess i would say it's more the use of the santa image and the costume more for the shock value yeah you know i, I don't think there's uh, like personally i don't think there's too much thought behind it <laughs> mm-hmm. i think you know a lot of because of what you said jeremy with um people trying to one-up each other and stand out in the market of all these slasher movies. Mm-hmm. I think it was more like, what could we come up with next? And and actually, Killer Santas had been done, um, but maybe not really done quite like this and not to this extent. And I think they did. They really went for broke with it, um, with the killings. And there's a lot of, like I said, creative killings in the movie. And, um, you know, I think they, they made their mark on it. Um, and so that's what I take away from it. Um, although I just rewatched the peanuts you know the charlie brown christmas special and they talk about the commercialism of, of christmas mm-hmm. and all that so it was on my mind a little bit and i wanted to get yeah. your opinion on it as well so I, I i just as an exercise because i agree I, I don't necessarily think this is a movie that was aiming to express a clear message or opinion one way or the other um yeah. but just because you know this is a podcast and we can have a little fun i think it might be interesting to just take that out of the equation and and as if this were you know, like a Fellini film, just break it down and really think about like yeah. what what it is actually. That's saying. what we do here. Yeah, yeah because it, because it is it, it has a lot to unpack because it's a mm-hmm. movie that is kind of all about morality and you know like like mm-hmm. when you're talking about punish and 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 these kind of very classic religious morals where you're not supposed to do anything wrong and it kind of takes the whole idea of any kind of confession or you know forgiveness out of the equation. 
Mm -hmm. Um, it just makes it like if you do anything bad, um, but, but I don't know. It it does. I think it does have kind of something interesting to say about this idea of like teaching our children that if they are naughty, then they'll be punished. And if they're nice, they'll be rewarded, um, Mm -hmm. in such an extreme way. Um, but, but the reason I asked that is because looking a little bit at the director of this film, uh, Charles E. Sellier, or Sellier, not sure totally on that. Um, yeah, I, I want to talk about him, yeah. Yeah, because he, he did a lot of religious, like, he, he, was, he was an evangelical Christian um, mm-hmm. and did a lot of very religious projects in his life, um, which is I think just... he was older at this point, too, right? He, he was sort of like an old Hollywood... I don't know um, if he was Hollywood, but... He was um, born in 43, so he would have been, he would have been about 40 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. not, you know, not, not super, super old, but you know, you've been around yeah. for a little bit. Um, yeah. but, it, but it is interesting because this project is such an outlier in terms of everything he's done, but also just message wise, because it's obviously offensive to Christian sensibilities. There's no way yeah. around that, but also not really because Santa Claus isn't really a religious, he's like, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm Jewish, so I don't totally understand mm-hmm. the history of it, but from what I understand, like Santa and Christmas trees are actually part of Yule. They're not really part of like the the religious side of christmas to my knowledge and please correct me if i'm wrong i don't think santa claus is actually in any way really traditionally a religious thing no he's um, he's created he was created by coca-cola so he's more of a yeah yeah, so, yeah he's more of a mythical figure so say. it is interesting because there there might be something to say like, like you were mentioning about the the commercialization of of christmas but mm-hmm. and how in a way santa and what we've done to christmas is murdering the good traditional values um i don't know we might we might be over i mean not we are definitely overthinking it but it probably but because of yeah i mean like you said the director yeah his background it kind of makes sense that he maybe at least he was looking at it that way yeah like like that's that's the the one thing that's the one thing that gives me pause is just the who the director Mm -hmm. is like if 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 i didn't know that about his background i'd say no this is totally meant to be schlock shock value but just the fact that you have this director with this religious background i'm like is he saying that um, that Billy in murdering all these people, not that murdering is right, but that yeah. we should be enforcing yeah. some kind of strict moral code. Like, like, so I don't know. It's, 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 it's almost like, about. yeah, it's almost like the opposite of most films where it's like the writer has a message he's want, he wants to get across and then the director takes it mm-hmm. and distorts it and makes it into something else. It's almost like the maybe the writer was trying to exploit the genre mm-hmm. and, you know, because the kills were there, like in the script and, what they wanted to do and then it's it's almost like the director took it and and kind of you know maybe maybe had a different idea but you know we i guess we don't really know for sure i don't know if there's that many interviews with the director or writer um but one thing i did note and this is interesting uh we talked about the the kill scenes in the movie and you know how creative they were and everything um and many of the kill scenes were actually not directed by the director they were directed yeah he um he had the editor Michael Spence come in, I guess, and direct these segments. Very interesting. Um, because the director was uncomfortable with handling the the more gory parts of the. That's film. fascinating. That's really yeah. interesting. It, it, it really is, yeah. So it's almost like, and we actually see this a little bit with the second one as well, which we'll talk about. But it's almost like a director. It, it was sort of like a director for hire, and mm-hmm. he didn't really, you know, he didn't really believe like what he was filming, and he didn't really want to be a part of it. But it's almost like he was doing it as a favor to someone else, and mm-hmm. and it was it was like one of those things, um, which like all right, twist my arm, I'll direct a movie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but um, because actually he was like also like a nature guy. I think he made um he made like nature documentaries and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he you know this wasn't really his his thing, but he, you know, he was behind the camera for a lot of it, 
Most of it. Most <laughs> Not of the it, killing yeah. scenes, I guess. Yeah. But um, I just wonder, what, did he just go in a different room? <laughs> like, how did that work? I don't, I don't that? know. I'm not sure how that worked. Was um, he just like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go drink a cup of coffee. You guys, yeah, you maybe, guys have fun. Yeah, maybe, it might have been something who, like who that. Knows, who knows? Yeah. yeah, I would love to see like footage from like on the set of, of no, the making God. of this movie. I can't even imagine what it must have been. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's very interesting. Um, and he, so, and also he has mentioned, I believe in interviews, that the film, or at least the script, was based on a novel um, that was, I believe, uh, I forget the name of it, but it was based on a novel and that they kind of like adapted it for the screen, mm-hmm. although there's actually been no proof that this, this novel ever existed. I think I actually tried looking it up a long time ago, Yeah, and, it, and I'm pretty sure it doesn't, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> it was just like an idea that someone had that mm-hmm. they gave it to a different screenwriter, and then different director and everything, and they kind of just like made it into this movie. I could see, um, I could see that, that being, idea. I could see that being a situation where a screenwriter or producer is coming in trying to pitch it to a financier, saying it's based on a novel. There's already an audience. Yeah, <laughs> or, or it was, might have been that, or it might have been actually the writer of the novel. I think yeah. he was it trying might, yeah. to market it, like at, you know, try to try to sell okay. it to studio. And I think what happened was he was not. Um, you know, he was very new to the scene and they mm-hmm. wanted someone more seasoned. So I think that's what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. But um, whether or not this novel exists has been up for debate. Um, oh, the novel. So I think even in the credits, actually, it says based on a book. And the book is called Sleigh Ride mm-hmm. by Paul C-A-I-M-I. Samey? Gamey? Kamai? Samai? <laughs> really don't know. But anyway, um, so yeah, whether or not that exists or not, um, up for debate. So he, he was apparently like a Harvard student who submitted the script. Um, and yeah, so they, the producers of the film, I guess, liked the idea of a killer Santa, but um, they wanted to expand on it. They just kind of took that single idea, um, which is why he gets a story by credit. So another little interesting factoid there. Um, and we would be remiss to talk about this film and not talk about the controversy because it was a huge part of, of its release. Um, and of course, leading up to the release of the film, um, so I do. Was, I want to just touch on that for a little bit. Um, so when the film was released widely, it angered a lot of parents, particularly, and and they picketed theaters. Uh, you know, it was a it was a big hullabaloo uh, at this time, and and they asked people to to sign petitions. So actually, the film was only in theaters for two weeks, I believe, and then it was withdrawn, mm-hmm. so pulled from theaters. Um, although it did have, it went on to have a very Good life on video. Pretty amazing like that second one. Pretty amazing that it was controversial enough to actually get it pulled from theaters. Because you hear about a lot of movies that have a big controversy, exactly, yeah. and still and still survive. Maybe it was just a money thing. Maybe the was, the people behind it said, "Oh no, if enough people are this," but you would think if their if their goal is to make a controversial slasher film, mm-hmm. they wouldn't pull it. They they would love that <laughs> that was happening. It would be, well, it was. It was controversial enough to actually have like a group actually formed because of that movie, and they were formed to protest this particular film and to lobby for it to be removed from theaters. And it was called Citizens Against Movie Madness. That's amazing. Uh, which is kind of crazy, yeah. And, and like we said uh, at the beginning of the show, you know, movies have existed <laughs> before <laughs> with horror elements and Christmas elements and Santa Claus imagery and all these things. So it's interesting that it was just this one. And, and again, I think it is just, you know, the timing of it. 1984, I mean, we were right in the midst, midst of, like you said, like Reagan conservatism. And um, yeah, I think it was just like the boiling pot and the right time, right place and all that. So, um, but yeah, so it was a pretty big deal at the time. Um, and But actually when the film came out, it was 
fairly successful. It was actually more successful than um, uh, another film that came out at the same time, which was Nightmare on Elm Street, which, whether or not you could believe that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not it would have gone on to be as ex- successful as that film or more successful, mm-hmm. we'll never know because it was actually pulled from the theaters. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, but it, it did decently when it when it came out. It does make you kind of wonder, like, because it was pulled, it, could this have been... You know, I mean, I don't necessarily think this is on the same level as a movie as a Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, no. <laughs> but but it is one of those things. Like, there there are classic slasher movies that aren't necessarily great movies. And I do think this is a classic slasher movie. It's just much um, with a much smaller audience. But you do mm-hmm. wonder, like, if it's a thing where it had stayed... Because you look at a movie like a Sleepaway Camp or something like that, and if you haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, please rush out and or stay home. Still during COVID here, Jeremy. Please, I have a, I have a confession. I have not seen it. You have not seen Sleepaway. No. Well, we definitely need to get you to watch Sleep. But a movie okay. like that, I know, was actually very successful at the box office, and I wonder if that contributed to its cult status, despite it not necessarily being a great movie in terms of what it was trying to achieve. And so I wonder if, if a movie like this, if it had stuck around longer and more people had seen it in theaters, if it could have kind of hung around yeah. in a different way. But who knows, you know? It's... Well, yeah, we'll never know. But in just 10 days, it made, uh, I did look up the figure, it grossed over 2.4 million. That's substantial. That's, that's so in 10 days, yeah. Movie. So we don't know what it would have done if it had gone I mean, on. you got to think, 2.4 million in 1984. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the inflation calculator in my head, but I have to assume that would at least be like 7 or 8 million now. You know, and so like, like that's a pretty like for an indie movie, like making seven or eight million dollars now in Mm ten days would be huge. Yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't Wes Craven? I mean, I know Wes Craven wasn't exactly what he is, yeah, or what he what he became at that point, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like you said, it was it was almost like this smaller film that kind of came out of nowhere, and Mm -hmm. you know, it does happen from time to time. So Mm -hmm. I found that interesting that it actually did extremely well when it came out, um, and continued to to do well on video. Yeah. I mean, um, even even just really quickly looking up like the the Good Time by the Safdie brothers that made four point one million dollars in twenty seventeen. So this movie and that yeah. and that was a really talked about movie. So mm-hmm. we're talking about a movie here that like was actually quite successful financially. Exactly, and uh, the controversy only helped, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's you know when we when we go to when we see it on video and and everyone kind of picking it up. Like I'm sure like the word got around the schoolyard or wherever, you know, like Mm -hmm. you you gotta check out this movie. It's a killer Santa. Uh, so that definitely helped. Um, and it's funny cause like the film was actually re-released in the spring of 1986 and almost all of the advertising for the film, uh, revolved around the controversy Controversy, that that was, that was in 1984. So, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but the controversy apparently did lead to the director, uh, having some difficulty finding more work mm. um, and actually kind of is, well, I, I read that it forced him to retire from filmmaking, mm. um, but he did, he continued producing and um, mm. actually he directed another film that I've seen, uh, which is funny. I, I didn't realize he was the same director. It's called the annihilators mm. and that was in 1985. So the next year. So, and he only directed four movies uh, total. So uh, it's just interesting. His career is, is kind of, yeah. interesting but anyway so that is silent night deadly night part one or just silent night deadly night mm-hmm. and um we had a lot to discuss there probably more than i even thought yeah. um so i don't know if we're going to split this episode up or not uh, at this point but i definitely want to move on to discussing uh the second one um now the first movie is a lot of things the thing is i, I again I, i'm gonna say I, I don't think i would necessarily call it a bad movie 
Um, I know that may sound strange to some people, but for a lot of the reasons that we kind of laid out during this episode, I, I kind of, you know, I stand by that the film is actually pretty solid, uh, entertaining, and at times genuinely kind of creepy slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, there's a there's some cheese in there, of course, but I feel like that only adds to it, especially with these kind of movies, Jeremy. I mean, you you, you almost want that cheese a little bit. Oh, totally. Uh, to to a certain point, so I only um, watch slasher movies with a little cheese. <laughs> I'm not yeah. I'm not interested in them without a little bit of that. Exactly, and, and this movie certainly has that. But yeah. um, to just kind of write it off and just, I feel like a lot of people's like initial reaction just be like, "Oh, it's stupid," and just mock it. There's a lot there to mock, but I would say mm-hmm. that um, it's a movie that you can also just have a lot of fun with, and just like it's it's pretty genuinely uh, engaging and entertaining, and uh, mm-hmm. got some good some good kills in there. And uh, I've seen much worse, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like part two. Mm-hmm. Now part two. So we'll get into that now. Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part Two. That came out in 1987, um, and it's really hardly worth talking about the plot because, and I, and I know we say that a lot in this show, but um, yeah. for this one in particular, there's almost it's almost like too much plot <laughs> to even. Well, try yeah, it's, it's it's too much, but also there. <laughs> so the first half hour of the film is essentially the first film. Mm-hmm. Literally, the literally the first film. <laughs> like it's yeah. not like it's not like they're talking about what happened. It's not like. You know, sometimes you'll see in a sequel where there's a few little flashbacks. Like, the first mm-hmm. half hour of this film, of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, directed by Lee Harry, is literally about 30 minutes of footage from the first film condensed right. down. The entire story. You get you get from the, the first scene of the first film to the last scene of the first film, bits and pieces of the entire story of that, um, as narrated by our protagonist slash antagonist Ricky, who is the little brother in uh, the first first Silent Night, Deadly Night. He is the one who, after that horrific scene with the parents, we get one little shot holding on him, and he's also the one at the end who, uh, he says, naughty. Um, (laughs) And and he's just telling the story of his his older brother, including details that there's no way he could have known. I know, that's the funny part. That's Um, the funny part to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he was... (laughs) <laughs> he was hardly in the first movie, and then I mean, you could argue that he, yeah. you know, he would know some of the stuff, but some of the things that he talks about in this movie, there's yeah. just no way he would have known. Yeah, anything about exactly. It. Like there, like there are things. Like I guess you could make the case that you know, well, the the murders would have made the news, and yeah, he would have heard about, about maybe how yeah. the murders happened. But like, there's stuff about like his older brother being punished by a nun briefly. There's stuff, like, right? <laughs> there, there, well, they add, you know, they add things like I heard my brother screaming. Yeah. When the nuns attacked him in the orphanage, and, and you know, which hey, it could have happened. Could have happened. Like, sure, sure. Why Maybe not? Maybe a little bit of a stretch. How much he knows, but once again, right. We'll suspend our disbelief. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so the first half hour just to knock that out of the way. Silent Deadly Night, the first movie. Right. Well, we should the explain second. the. We should explain the wraparound. Yeah, I guess scenes. we. Yeah, I guess so, we could. Yeah. Well, uh, so the second movie, uh, the basic premise of the first, at least the first part of it, is that Ricky is now in uh, being evaluated by, I believe, his psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. and uh he's so he's telling the story of what happened with his brother in an institution which, by the way he, he in, is, an, in an institution he's sorry. not he's yeah. not just sitting on he's a couch <laughs> yeah. venting he's he, is, <laughs> he has been institutionalized yeah. because we assume that he has done something horrible yeah. that has landed him there so he's telling the story to the i guess the criminal psychologist uh who's speaking with him and it's essentially a retelling of the first movie and we get tons of reused footage uh, and that you know, so the first half hour is essentially that uh, we're kind of just catching up with what happened pretty much mm-hmm. uh, from the first movie, um, which is why I felt like I had seen the first movie 
when I hadn't because I had seen the second. Because movie. you had seen the first movie, essentially. Yeah. You, you because saw... yeah, the the second one makes excessive use of footage from the first movie. Although oddly enough, it, it cuts out some of the gorier moments, yeah. which is uh, something we'll talk about a little bit later. You, you what you saw was the Spark Notes version of Silent <laughs> <Yeah>. Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Um, but from there, we do get some new footage. Actually, a lot of new footage um, at that point. Um, so if you can, you know, if you can wait out the slog of that first half hour, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I fast forwarded through. Oh, a lot same, of the, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was um, clicking, I was clicking in like yeah. twenty second increments, and if I heard voiceover, I stuck around because yeah. granted, some of the voiceovers. Yeah, good, but, granted, yeah. I, 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 I was watching it for this podcast, and I literally finished watching the first one five minutes before, and did yeah. not feel that I needed <laughs> to rewatch it at that point. Yeah, see, I mean, most of the scenes um, in the beginning are just him talking to the um, yeah. psychiatrist, and then you know we're cutting to these this old footage that we've seen in the from the first film um and where he's talking about his brother and, and everything that happens with him um so and it's funny because these new scenes that were filmed uh, at least i felt like you could tell they really were dragging them out like as long as mm-hmm. they could they, they really like linger on each shot of each person yeah. um it's just two people in a room talking but that's mm-hmm. you know um and then we get these, like we said, like these almost, <laughs> these almost Ed Wood level gimmicks. Like the recycling of footage at play here is just, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, and, and so you have that. And then this film uh, part two is also notorious for its questionable acting mm-hmm. and over the top violence. So even though uh, we have the creative kills from the first one, which we actually see again here, a lot of them, um, we also get some new kills towards the end as Ricky is going on his own rampage. And a lot of these are, are extremely like, almost goofy over the top. Uh, um, so not really as bloody as just like really out there. Um, and uh, the main actor, I want to talk, so who plays Ricky, Eric Freeman. I don't think he did much else, but he, he's very notorious for this acting, uh, for this role. And uh, I believe he comes from the school of eyebrow acting <laughs> where he just moves his eyebrows around a lot. Um, I saw one, one of the trivia on IMDb was like how many times he moves his eyebrows in yeah. the movie. He brought he brought quite a bit of intensity to, to this. Yeah, I, I guess you could call it that. I don't. <laughs> it's something. It's it's very unique. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. certainly say that. It's um, but there is something about him. He's just very, I don't know, sort of like magnetic. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. As, yeah, and and I, I just love watching him in this movie. Um, and you kind of get the idea that he was being told different things from different people, maybe from the director, from the writer. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he didn't have, like, he couldn't really nail down the character because it's like so off the wall. Yeah. Um, so let's, <laughs> I guess we'll skip over the first half hour. Um, Although, so, but before we do, I just want to make one note. The opening mm-hmm. shot of this movie, the, the opening shot of this movie is fantastic, and not in a not in an ironic, jokey way. Mm-hmm. It's this really beautiful shot that easily could have been out of like a late '70s Francis Ford Coppola movie, where there's just this foot tapping. And the camera yeah, booms up and just holds shot. on the right. cigarette and then booms You're up right. further to this guy's face and he's rocking. And like yeah. for a moment, I'm like, because I didn't know going into this what the second movie was. And I remember, Mark, mm-hmm. you saying it's like a real departure. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, is the second one way better? Like, is the second one like a really serious, intense movie? Oh, so I was like, what's actually interesting, though, is just in a, in a quick, and I, don't, I, I don't know how much to talk about him there really is. But this director, Lee Harry, actually won a Student Academy Award Um for a short film, I guess, or a feature called Button Button in 1978, mm-hmm. and the film was screened by Steven Spielberg. Um, so just wow. an, so it's just interesting sometimes seeing these career paths. But yeah, I I, I was mm-hmm. pleasant, and, and even even after the like just basically the whole first scene of this movie, and maybe that was a conscious thing because maybe 
you know, I know like um, in uh, the movie Primer, which we talked about on this podcast mm-hmm. a while back, the, they, they really spent a lot of time on the first scene because they're like, oh, it's a low budget movie, so we need to reel people in and yeah. get them to believe it. So maybe they spent more time because, yeah, it's like this beautiful shot. And then it goes from that to these really these really slick close-ups of him putting yeah. this recording device together. And I'm like, this is cool. Like this is like this is this is really well done. And then it goes yeah. in a very different direction. Very. It's very almost. Fast. Yeah, it's almost like gritty. Almost, yeah. Like in the those opening scenes, and I agree that that first shot is really well done. It's kind of like hard greenish greenish yeah. uh, fluorescent light. I'm like, wow, this is this is moody. It's it's atmospheric. Yeah. And then then and then it then it it kind of took and a then, little bit of a departure. <laughs> then you they start acting, and you start to <laughs> realize. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think it starts off on uh, an interesting note uh, and then <laughs> kind of goes downhill from there. But um, so the so just to get, you know, I usually talk about behind the scenes stuff after, but just to get this out of the way, they filmed these scenes between Ricky and Dr. Henry Bloom is his name. Uh, they filmed them in 10 days, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. So I got that wrong. The entirety of the new film was, going to say, 10 was days filmed just in that. 10 days. I'm yeah. sorry was filmed in 10 days which is like almost nothing if yeah. you're filming a movie uh the scenes between ricky and dr henry bloom were shot over the course of two days mm-hmm. so now just have that in your mind for the rest of this and it starts to make sense um they were really the producers were just trying to save money you know that, that, that was their main concern it was like how can we do this the cheapest way possible uh so it takes a good half hour like i said and you know until ricky begins to start telling his own story um and uh, then we get some new footage coming in, and Ricky's adopted by the Rosenbergs. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice family. Nice Jewish family. <laughs> nice Jewish love it. family. Yeah. So no, no Christmas imagery you had to worry about or anything nope. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Which I actually thought was pretty funny. Yeah, um, no, that, that's a great solution. It's like how do yeah. we how do we make him not snap <laughs> until he's an adult? Well, we put him with right. people who won't celebrate Christmas. But he, <laughs> exactly. And but it's like I like that he just never saw Santa Claus. Like, like he's, yeah, he never. He's a Jewish kid <laughs> yeah. growing up in the 1980s. Yeah. You know, Jeremy. You never. You know. Yeah, I, on I, TV, I, I you never see. I actually didn't even know who Santa was until I saw this movie. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was it was it was really enlightening. I'm glad. I'm glad I could show. Yeah. Yeah. Show you. <laughs> this is exactly who Santa is. He kills people. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's. Um, I, was, I was thinking that was probably. Yeah. <laughs> Only if you're naughty. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So he's Ricky is adopted by the Rosenbergs as a child uh, from the orphanage and. He's having these flashbacks to, you know, what obviously pretty traumatizing, mm-hmm. uh, not only what was happening with the nuns and the, the way they punished the kids, but also just seeing his brother uh, get killed by and police. His brother and murder it, people and get killed. And his yeah, parents, he was also, Santa. you know, mm-hmm. internalized. I mean, the, the, the motivation is definitely there for these characters. There's no lack there is, of. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's there if you want to look for it. Um, so. Eventually, you know, as a young man, I guess Ricky's kind of walking along this park or you know outside area, and he sees a, a man being naughty with a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're kind of like having, I guess, like a picnic or something, and the guy starts assaulting the woman and, and throwing her down and stuff like that. And uh, Ricky sees this and does not like it, and gets in the car that's parked there, and um, so <laughs> he runs the man over and over and over. He kind of just keeps doing it. And uh, this, the, so this is the first killing of Ricky, and it leads to one, I, I think, one of the funniest lines in the movie, or like one of the more quotable lines. Um, it cuts from this flashback that Ricky's having to this, <laughs> the doctor, you know, writing his notes, and he, and he just writes these, the words, red car, with an <laughs> exclamation point at the end. And 
that's the only thing that's on the paper, I believe. Yeah. Um, from everything he's just told him that he just killed the man, and you know, mm. and uh, Ricky looks over his shoulder and he goes, "Red car, good point." <laughs> and that's and that's like the first instance of like just really laughable like dialogue that's happening, mm-hmm. and uh, well, maybe not the first, but one well, of the more notable because, ones. It's weird because when he's just telling his brother's story, he's just telling a story, so the, 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 you're not really seeing, yeah. you're not really getting too much of a sense of who Ricky is. But when right. he starts telling his own story. <laughs> you you really you really find out what what's going on with this guy. Yeah, exactly. Get into his head a little bit, but um, yeah. I guess I guess that was the only note the, uh, the yeah. doctor had about that. That the, it was a red car that he yeah he killed he, the man. If with. it was a blue car, we, it might be a different discussion. But <laughs> yeah. it was a red car. Yeah, it makes all the difference. Um, and then from there we get this. <laughs> I, I'm gonna call it an oddly beautiful scene of uh, th- there's a loan shark or I guess a mafia criminal. Mm-hmm. guy in an alleyway and he's like beating beating up on a guy who owes him money and ricky's like work, you know he's working a job and he, he goes out the back and, and sees this and he ends up killing the guy he shoves an umbrella through him and opens it mm-hmm. so he like essentially stabs through him with the umbrella yeah which is, is a blunt it. object there's no blade blunt, on this yeah umbrella. It's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's a dull umbrella right but you know Suspension of disbelief. Which, but they, but they, it, show, they show us an extreme close-up of this dull umbrella. Like, like there's no do. question. Yeah, like, you know it's a dull umbrella. They're, you could they, they yeah. hide it. They, they could have yeah. they could have just showed it. Oh well, maybe it's one of those umbrellas that's kind of pointy. It was like it was yeah. a, a blunt object. But he, he's just that strong. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. They they could have made it like a quick. Yeah. I guess they kind of linger on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um. But anyway, it's like the imagery of it is is something. It's it, it comes through. You know, opens up. And it starts to rain, like, as Ricky walks away, he goes back to work, I guess. <laughs> and it's sort of, like, this oddly, like, beautiful, yeah. like, moment where it's just raining on this bloody umbrella that's opened up. And it's just like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> and then we go to the next scene where, um, so, eventually, there's this woman, Jennifer, um, who Ricky starts to date and starts to have an affinity for. And and he's, like, the first character that, you know, besides the Rosenbergs that we we see Ricky having like a, a sort of normal relationship with, I guess. And uh, they eventually go to a movie together, sitting in a theater. And uh, another bizarre moment here, Jeremy, where I want to talk about this because mm-hmm. so even the movie that they go to see in the theater is, is reused footage from the first yeah. one. So the movie within this movie is from the first movie. Um, yeah. So, which is really surreal. And yeah, I thought possibly tongue in cheek. I, I couldn't really tell. Like, but I mean, probably it was mostly just as we said, practical, like money yeah, wise. Because they already but, had the rights. But it almost feels tongue in cheek because they even bring attention to it. They say, you know, he goes like, "What's this movie about?" And she's like, "Oh, a maniac Santa who kills people." You know, he's, so it's yeah, like he's just like what? Yeah, he's <laughs> like, oh, oh, weird. He's like, <laughs> like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence. And yeah, yeah it, like is his brother. So it's like. <laughs> It's almost like I, I didn't know if they were doing that in like a tongue-in-cheek way, where it's well, like supposed to be funny. Or, well, they're also, and I didn't, I hadn't looked beforehand. I just watched this blind, so I didn't know if it was the same director or not. But they were critiquing the movie as it was happening. They're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, they it's like, like, oh, he's gonna go down there and get down killed there without a flashlight. Yeah, right. it's like, it's like you're critiquing the movie that you're using <laughs> to make money. Yeah, <laughs> like which actually, playing, yeah, I thought it was pretty funny, but yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's kind of like a clever meta joke or 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 maybe just you know they were reusing the footage and they yeah they wanted to make a couple comments about it i don't know but it's just but it's anyway. one of those things too where we're talking about them like eating up screen time because a big part of this yeah. movie oh, which we'll get into a little bit more because there there's some questionable things that i'd like to discuss but a big mm-hmm. part of it is them probably trying to just meet about an hour and 20 minutes of runtime 
but not yeah. having enough time to shoot that, so they just used this other movie because there was no reason to ever actually show footage from this movie. In, exactly. in the movie, they easily yeah. could have just had the scene, put some <laughs> like they could have even put the music and then just like had some like Charlie yeah. Brown dialogue in the background <laughs> yeah. that would have taken them five minutes to record on set. You just set someone up with a mic and then just have them. Yeah, talk about anything. <laughs> the, like the sound and the dialogue that you hear from the movie is it even from the first movie? I, I can't like some of it is, and I, I think okay. the, I think the song is the opening song because I actually having watched them on the same day, I, I recognize the opening piece of music as the thing okay. that was in the movie theater. I'm like, oh, that's clever. They're just using the music, <laughs> and, and I was kind of expecting to like hear like the dun dun dun, you know, like the big mm-hmm. when, when it switches, but I wasn't expecting them to cut to it, and then, and then right. they did, and it was. You know, yeah. it, it took it. It took it to that next level. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange. <laughs> so anyway, so um, I think at this point the killings start. I mean, at least I thought they started to get a little more, like even more over the top and like cartoonish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Ricky still has this this naughty thing in his mind. So the guy in um, in the seats behind him, I guess, is is acting naughty and like. <laughs> you know, shouting out the screen and, and like being obnoxious and all that. Which I thought, was, I thought that guy was so funny. Like, yeah, that guy was, he was pretty funny. Was so funny. Um, but Ricky doesn't like him and he, uh, you know, doesn't think it's very funny and he goes and, and I guess murders him or beats him up. I'm not really sure, but they show the man's legs like flailing behind the movie theater seats. Like it's almost like, that's what like the word cartoonish came to mind when I, I saw that. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> so then we get the scene with um, that really sets everything off on this kind of killing spree that Ricky goes on. Uh, we see Jennifer's old boyfriend Chip, you know. And you, uh, once you see a character named Chip in a movie, you know they're just going to bad be, news. There's, yeah, there's no good chips. A real jerk, you know. Yeah. There's no good chips. <laughs> um, Except chocolate chips, but outside. If of you that, are a good <laughs> chip, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you are a good chip, you know, chips. write to us. Let us know. Yeah, I do like those kind. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, it's kind of. Uh, brazenly i would say flirting with uh, jessica mm-hmm. in front of ricky ricky does not appreciate this um and we have the scene where he has the jumper cables <laughs> hooked up uh the hood up in the car and ricky takes one of them and clamps <laughs> clamps the jumper cable inside chip's mouth mm-hmm. which made my teeth feel weird like yeah. hurt my teeth watching that and then he turns up the voltage i guess and and we see chip's eyes explode <laughs> which is just cool like yeah, nonsensical awesome. as yeah. all hell but cool um again like slasher movies you want to one-up things and and you know bring bring things to another level mm-hmm. that's that's how you do it right no, there. it's once again uh, great great visual yeah very inventive <laughs> um and then so he turns on jennifer at this point and um like we mentioned in the first movie uh, with Billy turning on the the female employee who who he uh, you know is is supposed to be helping in that scene, uh, we kind of get the same thing here where I guess Jennifer's like oh you're crazy or what are you doing and and uh, he turns Ricky turns on her and and ends up killing her and he also kills a cop in, in the scene and he, like, again he goes on sort of like a killing spree here yeah. um, leading up to what has become a very famous internet meme and i'd be remiss not to mention it um and my favorite line from the movie which is garbage day when uh so the uh he uh someone's taking out their garbage and uh ricky just decides to randomly kill him murder him. and <laughs> yeah and uh just the way he says that line and proceeds to shoot this man and the editing also is very strange in this part yeah. um it was like kind of cuts back and forth for some reason and um yeah, this has gone on to become a, a bit of a meme on online, and and I, the first time I even found out about this movie, was because someone showed me this clip on their phone. They just like, yo, you gotta watch this, 
at work one day and um <laughs> i was like i need to watch that movie whatever it is so i i found out more about it and that's why i had seen part two before i'd seen part one because i wanted to check that out um and yeah i'm glad i did because <laughs> yeah. it led me on this journey but it's funny how something small and viral like that can just you know lead mm-hmm. to all this everything else but um so the cops confront Ricky at this point and Ricky puts a gun to his head and I guess, you know, going to kill himself and he pulls a trigger, but there's no more bullets. So, uh, and then at this point he's, he's actually finishing telling his story to the doctor and actually a pretty good reveal here. Um, mm-hmm. I thought yeah. when Ricky, uh, the camera kind of follows Ricky walking in the room towards the door and he's like, all right, you know, hope you had a good session or whatever, you know, whatever dumb line he says. And uh, he just walks out the door and you see the psychiatrist, I guess, was strangled to death by the reels of tape that he was using Mm -hmm. uh, to record the audio. Which was set up nicely because we got those close-ups earlier on. Like, that's the confusing thing. Another, like, nice, yeah, Yeah. nice shot. Like, that's the confusing thing with this movie is there's some things that are just done really beautifully. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then... And then I, other I things. Yeah. I, it so might have just been a time thing. I don't know. Like, yeah, I wonder if it's like, yeah, like he spent more time on certain shots. Yeah, like, like maybe they shot to... maybe they shot the interview stuff in the first two days and, and they yeah. were all excited and like taking really their focused. time. <laughs> yeah. But then they then they went and like shot Then the, they were like, the, Oh like, shit, we have to film the rest of this movie. Yeah, like damn, yeah, like, like we, yeah, we spent two whole days shooting one scene basically yeah. in an office <laughs> yeah. and now we have to go blow up a car. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what happened, honestly. Yeah. Um so after he, so he leaves the room and essentially breaks out of the institution, I guess, by posing as the psychiatrist, and he goes to find Mother Superior. So he gets, yeah, we now see him dressed in the Santa garb. You know, he's got the costume on. He's in a phone booth, and he's calling Mother Superior at the orphanage and says, Merry Christmas, Santa's back. And, <laughs> and uh, there he goes. So he goes, goes to the orphanage, um, and uh, he comes up the stairs with an axe much like his brother and and uh you know i got a present for you and then he confronts mother superior in her room and (laughs) this may be it may be the dumbest line i've ever heard in a movie i I think i can say that (laughs) he so he confronts her and she says you're being very very naughty and he goes naughty this and hoists his axe up and that line makes zero sense. Yeah, anyway. there, there are a few. There are, there are a few in here that definitely... <laughs> There's a few, but that one, that one in particular like, offended like, me. Oh, I was that's... like, oh, man. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, yeah, it's, they actually went through with that. Wow. Yeah. Um, so he, you see him kind of like raise his axe there. And <laughs> uh, so the next scene, the police come, and it's like these two detectives, and they come and walk up to Mother Superior, who she's in a wheelchair at this point, and they mm-hmm. walk up to her, and Ricky's nowhere to be seen, and she... <laughs> I don't know how this is possible either, but she, the, the one detective like puts her hand on her and her head falls off. Mm-hmm. The mother superior's head falls off and kind of rolls to the ground, um, which implies that, you know, I guess Ricky had chopped her head off. So he's in the background there and he raises his axe towards the police and they shoot him and he falls backwards out the window and the cop um, who's on the ground <laughs> looks over at the head and screams and at the scream we see ricky outside laying on the ground his eyes snap open and he's still alive so he's more in the tradition bum, i guess bum, of the, yeah, yeah ricky, ricky yeah. might come back the other slashers yeah, yeah. um uh, and that's silent night deadly night part two Indeed that's it how is. it ends <laughs> wow what a movie um yeah if you can make it through that first half hour um there are some yeah. treats it's definitely worth it yeah for sure and this movie definitely has a cred now I, it has con- you know 
mm-hmm. people devoted to it and they go to conventions and, and showings of it and they have the actors come out and um you know i think for a long time this main actor who plays ricky eric freeman i think he was kind of hard to pin down or he didn't want to come out and maybe he was embarrassed about the movie or for his own reasons whatever mm-hmm. um but he's eventually come around much like the actor in the first one who played billy mm-hmm. um at first he I don't know if he bought into the controversy or what, but he was, you know, he w- he didn't feel very comfortable with the movie, and but he's since, um, you know, years and years later, uh, come around and he will meet up with fans of the movie and and talk about the movie in person and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. people have come around on it. Um, the director of this film, I want to talk about really briefly because it's interesting in a different way from the first film. We had the this kind of like lifer in the business who who'd been around, maybe not making these kinds of films, but he's he had been in the the business as a director and things like that. But the director of part two, his name is Lee Harry. Um, he was primarily uh, an editor. And I found that it was interesting. Uh, they picked him because he's an editor um, mm-hmm. to direct this film because he really didn't have any experience being a director and he didn't really want to be a director. And if you look at his credits, he's mostly an editor. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that he was the one uh, to direct this, but it makes a certain kind of sense when you think about it because of how much old footage that was being used and you know the all the editing tricks that would go into making this a full-length feature film yeah um you certainly had to have some knowledge of editing for sure and he i believe also edited the film as well so it's kind of like he was coming at it from both angles mm-hmm. so he was involved um they, uh, on both sides with he, yeah. they also might have been able to save some money by hiring oh, yeah, someone to right. direct and edit that because too. they're like yeah we'll pay you now right like, yeah if i can direct <laughs> i'll do it for this price yeah and speaking of money, I want to talk about that a little bit because that clearly went into, mm-hmm. uh, or the lack of money, I guess, went into why this film even exists, mm-hmm. which is funny because to me, it's like, why even make a sequel? But I guess if you think you can make enough money from it, then yeah, oh, yeah totally. you know, even if you don't, yeah, even if you don't have the funds initially, maybe you can well, make something off of it. We're still talking yeah. about the eighties at this point, you know, we're still, it's not, it was, it was just a few years later. Um, and the controversy was probably still in the. You know, it's not like there was internet culture back then. Things probably yeah. moved a little bit slower. So the controversy was still probably in the back of people's minds. It hadn't totally disappeared three years later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially the re-release was, came in 86 and did well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it kind of makes sense. They're probably like, there's a good money. One thing I was thinking of, this is just a random thing, but it, it was a logic trap that I did in my head. Um, Ricky was supposed to be one year old when the mm-hmm. when the, the parents were murdered, right? Right. Uh, you- don't bring logic into this. Challenge. No, no, no. But we, we need it because because I think this <laughs> no, takes I think this takes Silent Night Deadly Night yeah. Part Two to a whole other level. So he was one year. Well, he was one when the parents yeah. were murdered, and his brother mm-hmm. was, I believe, seven. Because I think that was the, the number. I think they Something said it. Like that. I yeah. think they said it. I was one, and he was seven. Okay. All right. So yeah. the brother went on his murder spree when he was eighteen. So that's eleven years later, right? Mm-hmm. Which would make Ricky twelve years old when all that happened. Mm-hmm. Which would mean that it, this when this happened was six years after the events. That happened in the other movie. The other movie right. happened in 1984, which would put this movie in 1990, which was three years after oh, the movie yeah. came out. So Silent Deadly Night is not only one of the most interesting yeah. wild movies of all time; it's also set in the future, which is kind of <laughs> which is kind of cool, you know. <laughs> also, their name changed. Their last name, I think, is like different. Yeah. Between the two movies, so like you know, obviously they were taking liberties here. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think they were too beholden to what had <laughs> transpired. Well, they weren't, and they were because they were literally yeah. showing you. They showed it the first movie. But I, I just um, thought that was interesting. This was this was a movie set in the '90s, made in the '80s. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's it's if you try to think of it logically, it just makes your brain hurt. Yeah, it really um, does. 
and, and like we said, you know, the fact that Ricky as a character was hardly in the first one at all. Um, I mean, he is there in certain scenes, yeah. but it, particularly the end. But um, mm-hmm. it's just interesting because it's like, how does he know this? Like, yeah. you know, certain things that he just would not know about. But um, anyway, like we said, certain liberties were taken. Uh, and on the DVD commentary, apparently, the so the filmmakers talk a little bit about what went on behind the scenes, you know, in regards to money and things like that. And they said that they were paid a dismal amount mm-hmm. of money to make the film. Of and originally um, their idea was to, so originally they were told to re-edit the first film and pass it off as a sequel. Um, so it was actually Lee Harry, um, the end, the director of this film who said that he didn't want to do that. And he demanded that a new film be shot, mm-hmm. you know, if he was going to direct it, that he wanted to actually shoot new footage. Um, though he didn't have the budget obviously to create an entirely new story so he kind of he did the best of both worlds i guess mm-hmm. um which is pretty clever you know creative i yeah. guess um like i said uh, the first third of this film is is essentially the first one but with little wraparound scenes mm-hmm. um and then it kind of it goes off to be its own film so um he saw a way around that i guess and um i i actually have a quote from him that i found uh, i found you know just to kind of give you a little more insight uh he says uh, I was an editor at a small post-production f- facility in Burbank, and the guy who ran the place was approached by the people who owned the original, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and asked if we could take the movie, recut it, and add some footage uh, to try to get a little more shelf life out of it. Mm-hmm. So sh- that shows you where their head's at. Um, there were four of us who were editors who just watched the first movie over and over again and came up with what we thought was a decent backstory <laughs> and then wrote a script around the existing footage. That's awesome. So they literally made the film from scratch, like just based off mm-hmm. the footage of the first movie that they wanted to use, which yeah. is pretty interesting. That's no, great. Um, one of the last things I want to talk about here, Jeremy is just yeah. like, again, the, the audacity, like the sheer audacity mm-hmm. to pull something like this yeah. is just something else. And reusing so much footage from the first film. I mean, I feel like this is something you wouldn't be able to get away with now in this no. day and age. I mean, do you agree with that? Is that I mean, that... I quite frankly, I don't know how they got away with it then. Even then. I don't yeah, know I if that's a result of the yeah. time or it's just people who just, decided that they were going to take advantage of the name and just literally couldn't give less. Because, I mean, this one wasn't a big hit. It didn't do great financially. Well, so it it did, it did okay. It did okay. So it got pulled, well, it got pulled even sooner than the first movie. It got pulled a week, I think, into its run. So like Mm -hmm. a full week before the first one was. So um, it did pretty good on video, though. Yeah, well, yeah. Much like the first one. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, these kinds of movies, like slasher horror films, I feel like video market was really yeah. <laughs> what they were going for. Which so um, they accomplished their goal because and, and I think yeah. that's the thing. I don't think there's the same kind of video market now because people get people are so used to getting new TV shows and movies now yeah. um, that like if there's going to be a sequel for something, it's because it's been a massive hit and they're going to throw a lot of money at it to make another one. Whereas yeah. the franchise, yeah, because like yeah. you don't really see that much low budget stuff hitting these days. And mm-hmm. if it does, it's normally like an indie darling where they're not going to well, we bother sh- making a sequel. We've um, talked about that with our indie series too. Like our kind of conclusion yeah. of that was that this can't really happen as in that certain way. Yes, yeah. anymore. Yeah, because there's yeah. kind of different spaces. Whereas, like yeah. then, I think that these kind of schlock movies were a lot more bankable. Like mm-hmm. they they made a lot more money, so there was a lot more of a motivation to just use the name and say, "Hey, you yeah. know, if we can make it for like they probably if, if, if the decisions probably weren't made by filmmakers, they were probably literally made by like accountants mm-hmm. running the numbers." Saying, well, this is what we know we can sell to a, a distributor. Like, mm-hmm. the, like we, they probably they probably even had pre-sale. Honestly, they probably yeah. like had someone who said, like, if you make another Silent Deadly Night movie, we don't even give a shit what it is. 
we'll yeah. pay you X thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. However and they, they could justify it. Yeah, and they probably yeah. said, all right, to get our, you know, our ROI, our return on investment to be the number we want, we have to make the movie for less than this amount of money. And that's what they did, which yeah. was probably a very small amount because it wasn't like they were, you know, doing a Halloween movie. They were doing a Silent Night, Deadly Night movie. Right. Yeah. It all comes down to money. Although I will say, <laughs> what we were saying before a little bit is this movie was kind of weird in terms of the use of the budget um, because, like, uh, Mark and I, are, as we've mentioned many times before, are both filmmakers and have both done low-budget projects. And there are creative solutions you can take with a low-budget project mm-hmm. to not spend all your money on stuff you don't need to. And they did not do that at all in this movie, which I think was interesting <laughs> because, like, it's for for, the, for those of you who don't know necessarily, like, what gets what what's expensive to do with mm-hmm. filmmaking. Like, they blew up a car in this movie. There's, it's never cheap to blow up a car. You know, they they also flipped a car in this movie. They threw people through windows. Yeah. So, like, there there was stuff in unnecessarily. This like, they didn't need to. do yeah, they, didn't they could have just had him get shot a bunch of times and fall on the floor. Right. They didn't have to blow up the car. They could have just, so like that's what was so weird. Is there, there was stuff. It's in like this they movie. went out of the. Well, also like maybe they knew. Yeah. Like we said, like maybe they knew the killings were like the selling point, and like yeah. maybe or, they did want to put all their money into or, that, or it was know. trailer fodder, maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, maybe it was just a thing where it was maybe. like they they knew that it they wanted their trailer to be a car blowing up someone yeah, going through a window. Yeah. So so yeah. maybe it was that, but in terms of actually making a good movie, they didn't. I don't think really spent their resources in the best way but once again they forgot that part yeah if they, <laughs> they forgot if, to make a good movie <laughs> if they made their money though and then and the goal of this project was making money they succeeded mm-hmm. like, like at the yeah. end of the day they did okay yeah, yeah. it did we, it did we can talk about the artistic merit of the movie all we want but if if their goal you know you set out at the beginning of any project be it creative or business whatever and you set your goals and if you meet those <laughs> goals it's a success so in that regard yeah. I would have to say that Silent Night, Deadly I, Night Two Part Two, or Silent Night Deadly Night Part Two rather, is a success. It, it, it I would say. I would to. even say they exceeded their goals. Yeah. I mean, we're still talking about. Yeah, that's true. Today. Yeah, uh, you know. No one's talking about you know. Thirty you know. thirty plus years later, we're still <laughs> we're having extended yeah. discussion. It's an internet meme. They didn't even know what the internet was when <laughs> they made this movie. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's a cult movie, which you know you can't say for every movie. So. Yeah. Um, it's gone on to have a life, certainly mm-hmm. on video and, well, it used to be in-person show, showings uh, before yeah. COVID and everything, but um, mm-hmm. hopefully, yeah, hopefully sure. soon enough. Yes, we'll hopefully we can get back again. out yeah. and seeing seeing bad movies in person like it should be seen. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, um, it definitely has a life. Uh, the first one and the second one, I guess more the second one because it has a lot more of the, you know, hammy acting and kind of bizarre behavior in it and and the kills are just so over the top. And you still get a lot of the kills from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, they still show you yeah. some of those. So it's kind of, it's got it all in there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you got to see these, Jeremy. They yeah, are, me too. What, one, hopefully they become traditions, you know. For sure. <laughs> one more small note, just because I, I have a, a graphic design background, and I like to talk about this whenever we get the opportunity, especially with slasher films, because the posters and the art was such a big part of it. Both oh, yeah. um, Silent Night, Deadly Night and Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, I thought had really cool posters. Um, particularly mm-hmm. Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 it actually looks like they spent some money on the poster which is funny mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. really beautiful uh, painting or illustration of a Christmas ornament with a, a, a reflected hand holding a gun you can kind of tell it's Santa and it's yeah. a really really beautiful piece of art it's pretty good yeah <laughs> like You're it's right. great yeah so so I don't know mm-hmm. it, it's interesting but, but I think that's the thing anytime you talk about a slasher film the poster and, and the, mm-hmm. or the VHS cover are, are just as important sometimes as yeah. the film itself for, for how it held up over the years. 
Um, well, even the first one with the his arm, yeah, the Santa's arm, arm coming out of the, out of the chimney. chimney with the axe, yeah, yeah, really, really, really cool, uh, cool posters I mean, for both of these. They did it right, uh, you know. It, whether or not, again, you want to say these are bad movies or not, I, they did, they did what they set out to do. Yeah, right? totally. With this film, hundred so, percent. With both these films, uh, yeah. So yeah, cool. <laughs> it was fun rewatching them, and keep up the tradition. We'll we'll do another movie next year, but maybe we'll watch this one too, just yeah, know, for fun. <laughs> just yeah, just uh, for our own for ourselves. <laughs> I still call them one movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's still one movie in my head. I, I wonder if, if anyone will be bold enough at some point to do like a, uh, like a Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, uh, yeah. Just like cut them both together and yeah, Redux. Yeah, like a Redux. Yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Redux. Where we, it's, it's, it's it's actually it wouldn't be that long because the second one, yeah, if you cut all the original footage out, would probably only be about yeah. forty minutes long. So yeah, you, hey. just, you just get a good two hour long. There you go. Bro- bro- story of two brothers. It's roadshow version of it. Yeah, the roadshow. You, yeah, you maybe throw out a little intermission in between. Yeah. You sell, so, you sell you some go. eggnog. You know, it's it's a good time. Someone tell Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. Produce it. Yeah. Uh, on that note. Yes. Um, <laughs> thanks, Jeremy, for another great uh, holiday episode. Happy holidays to you. 2020. Likewise. Hopefully next year is uh, somewhat normal. We'll Indeed. see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but either way, we'll still be here talking about weird cult movies um and thanks very much for listening to this holiday special of cult movie cult you can find us as always on twitter instagram and facebook if you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show or if you'd like to officially join the cult be a guest on the show please feel free to reach out to us at cult at gmail.com this has been cult movie cult until next time so long from the other side and happy holidays Naughty. Like, naughty. <laughs> Punish. Punish. <laughs>